Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Turn to turn to Matthew nine. We're going to look at a couple passages, but we'll start with Matthew nine. Uh, I just want to say again, echo Camille's prayer. Thanks for how you guys all loved us uh, through uh, welcoming Ruby and uh, the meal train and the paternity leave time at home as a family. It's just a super sweet time. We felt very loved and uh, just really really blessed. So thanks for all that. It's really good to be back. Um, now I missed you guys. It kind of like it was really sweet up until like maybe yesterday, and then it started to feel like being grounded, you know, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm excited to be back and, and with, with, you, with you all. Uh, we've been talking about uh, following Jesus together for a while now, this, this phrase that we're kind of rallying around as a church, um, and it comes from <clears throat> Jesus's uh, command that we see all over the Gospels, where he, he sees people and he says, follow me, like that's his pitch, that's his sales pitch, he just said, hey, come, follow me, learn from me, be with me, do what I do. And we see in the Gospels, there's three types of people that Jesus is interacting with. He's got his crew, like his disciples, uh, and then he's got his haters, uh, who are always going to hate, 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 uh, the, the, that are picking fights and trying to argue with him. And, uh, and, then, and then we have this third, this middle group, this third group of the crowds. Uh, because he was doing miracles and there was free food involved sometimes, there was a lot of hype uh, around, around Jesus. And so they're, they're, they're often very big crowds. And most of Jesus' ministry in like teaching in parables and saying offensive things and kind of poking different cultural or tradition, traditional stereotypes in the eye was just to invite people to move from the crowd where they're just kind of like watching him on YouTube to actually like sign up for Jesus school and like follow him with, with their lives. And so this call to follow Jesus uh, together, we, we see nobody following Jesus alone. It's always in a group of other disciples is, is what we're focusing on here and uh, personally, that's just like all I want to do in life, you know, as I read the Gospels and stuff. I just want to follow Jesus with other people that are wanting to, to follow Jesus. And I know it's intense. And so today, uh, today I, I just wanted to take a, a moment and look at these passages uh, and see that following Jesus, while it is abundantly good news, it's also a little scary. Uh, because Jesus, he says things like, oh, we have to love him more than we love our kids or our spouse, or our moms and dads, or safety, or financial security. That there's a high cost of following Jesus. He says we have to take up our cross and like crucify our old way of life, like nail our normal way of being to a cross and, and follow him. And so the, we're going to look at, look at these uh, little stories briefly and just admit that following Jesus, the call to follow Jesus is scary. If you're hearing if you're, if you're hearing him right, then it should be a little bit uncomfortable. It requires us to repent. Uh, it requires us to acknowledge that we've been doing it wrong heretofore, uh, turn from our current, way, current ways of living, uh, and, and make all our lives um, uh, surround, be about him. Like Jesus is incredibly self-centered. He's like the only one that can get away with being self-centered because he really is the one that everything is about. And God knows us. Uh, he knows our frame. There's that verse in the Psalms. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are, we are dust. Uh, he knows that we deal with fear. He knows that, it, that it's scary. And he's constantly calling us out of it. Uh, they, over a hundred times in scripture, there's, there's a call away from fear. Jesus is always telling people to, to fear not. And today I want to just dial in on one specific particular way that Jesus calls people away, away from fear. And we see it in our Sermon text in verse 22, Matthew 9, verse 22. Jesus turned to her and saw her 
Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And it's that phrase at the beginning of Jesus' words, take heart, that I want to dial in and see how Jesus uses it uh, throughout the gospel. In uh, the original language, in the Greek, uh, it's a word called, uh, pronounced tharseo. And it's really the noun uh, for courage, the word for courage, just made a verb. So it's like courage yourself. It's like courage with, courage with action. Uh, it's translated take heart or take courage uh, or don't be afraid throughout, uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, but it's like, it's like taking out your courage like it's a sword. It's like this, this active thing where you, you kind of, you, you take courage and put it to work, if you will. And if I could just speak for a hot second as a, as a pastor, as, as the pastor of our church here, I think it's a word that we as a church family just like really need to take by the horns. Um, like we can maybe take a vote and maybe see if we can get Brandon to tattoo it on his other forearm. He's got like the one cool Christian tattoo and having Greek tattoos is super cool. Just kidding. But th- this word, this word, tharse- that was a joke. Sorry, Brandon. Um, but seriously, that'd be cool. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, a church-sponsored tattoo. Whole another, whole another, whole another sermon. Um, where was I? Okay, yes. Tharseo. So it's this word to, to take courage, to like put courage into action. And, and that's kind of my main point today is that uh, if you're filling in the blanks, following Jesus requires courage. When we come face to face with Jesus, it, it will be scary and it will require courage. It's the, the classic line that I feel like we've been wearing out during this series from Chronicles of Narnia. Mr. Beaver's asked about Aslan, who represents Jesus. Is, is Aslan safe? And M- Mr. Beaver's like indignant. Well, no, he's not safe. He's a lion, I tell you. But he's good. He's the king. So we come face to, Je- face, to face with Jesus. It requires leaving what's comfortable, kind of facing, facing the lion. Uh, and exposes us and puts us into situations that are beyond us. Uh, so we're going to uh, kind of two points with some subpoints. We're going to look at what courage is, kind of define it, uh, and then we're going to look on the reasons why Jesus gives us to Tharseo. Why do he, what does he say after he tells us to take courage uh, and, and to put on courage? What, what reasons does he give us? That's what we're going to look at today. Starting with <coughs> defining our terms. What is courage? So right up front, Uh, The definition, working definition of courage is acting in the face of danger in spite of the fear because you believe in something greater than your own safety. Courage is acting in the face of danger in spite of your fear because you believe in something greater than your own safety. When we have courage, it means that we're honestly encountering our fear. We're looking looking at it in the face. And we're choosing to believe that something matters more than just feeling not afraid or feeling safe. When we have courage, we have the strength and the faith to believe that there's something greater, better, stronger, something higher at stake than just our own desires to to be safe. Because courage, let me be super clear, courage is decidedly not fearlessness. Like that's what Johnny has, my son, when he climbs on things. Like he's not being courageous, he just goes for it. Courage, on the other hand, is actually being afraid. It's staring the fear, staring the danger straight in the face and acting in spite of it. It was super fascinating to study courage uh, for this sermon because I feel like you don't really hear about it a lot. And when you look at history, though, all throughout human history, civilizations, cultures had a huge value on the virtue of courage. The Greeks and the Romans, they had four cardinal virtues. It was wisdom, justice, self-control, and courage. 
And then all, all the way on the other side of the world, Confucius, he had, he had three, uh, three virtues uh, that a person was called to embrace, which was wisdom, courage, and benevolence to others. So there's this like universal element to courage across all different cultures and in countries and throughout human history. And so what is it? What is it that would make courage so universal? Well, I think ancient cu cultures, or at least older cultures, had a, had a lot more understanding or maybe had come home to the fact that there was danger and, and risk just intrinsically embedded into being a human on the earth. Life was big and mysterious. There were forces both natural and, uh, and supernatural that were just outside human control. There's that sense of, of fear, of helplessness, of vulnerability. And so it was a virtue to like stare all that uncertainty, stare that fear in the face, and then act with conviction on what you believe is right. And I think one of the reasons why we don't hear about courage so much in our culture is because uh, in a lot of ways, we are chasing a myth that life can actually be made safe, that there's, there's enough ability in our human capacity to eliminate danger and fear. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal a while back uh, that, was, uh, that said fear and anxiety were statistically on the rise. Like we were becoming more fearful and anxious while on the other hand, the stats to show just like statistically how safe we are in terms of like violence and child mortality and just you know, all those different stats, those were, those were going down. So we're, we're getting like statistically more safer and statistically more anxious. Why is that? And the point of the article, uh, it, was a, it, it was giving a, a hypothesis that because of enlightenment, you know, which is that like humans can figure it out, humans can learn and know everything. And because of modern developments and science and technology, the invention of insurance or whatnot, that there, there, there kind of became this unspoken cultural myth that, that we can eliminate danger, that we can make everything safe. That if I'm afraid there's something wrong and there's gotta be a product or a technology or a something or a politician that can make it, make it go away. There's this underlying belief that, that it's possible to create a world that is under control. And maybe you're not like that, but I think we can see all over in our culture this case, like if you watch commercials, they're literally all like fear. <laughs> it's like this car is safe and this insur insurance it will always be there for you. Like it, fear is such a big thing. It's why the news is so compelling because it's all this like, you know, doom and gloom, scary stuff. And so in some sense we're a s society, maybe not you, uh, we're chasing a dream of the danger being gone. And which would make courage obsolete. Like we don't need to face our danger, we need to be smart enough to get it to go away. But because of sin, there's no way of dealing with danger by eliminating it. We, we, have, we have to face it. Making safety the priority or the organizing principle of your life that your whole life orbits around is a pipe dream. Because it's just objectively true because of the fall, because of sin, we as humans are unsafe, vulnerable, even in our over-insured, heavily medicated society. Ancient civilizations, they accepted danger and fear, and they celebrated the virtue of, of living and acting in the face of it. And I think Jesus, with this word, tharseo, he's calling us and following him to face our fears, to face that and believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that following him is better than, than being safe, that he really is good. So that's our definition of courage, acting in the face of danger because of a conviction, because you believe something's better. Let's look at why we should have courage, why we should take heart and follow Jesus.
So look at the, the first story here, Matthew 9, verses 1 and 2. As we go through these stories, you probably have heard a lot of them before. If they're not like new scripture I uncovered somewhere. But I want us to just kind of enter into like what the experience of, of the person getting told to Tharseo would, would be. What, what, would, what would that person, he, him or her, be experiencing as they come to Jesus in the condition that they were dealing with? Matthew 9, verses 1 through 2. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Just imagine being paralyzed. Imagine being viewed by people that around you as having some deep moral flaw. In the culture of that day, if there was a disability or illness, it was like kind of like karma, like it means you sinned or someone near you sinned. So you are helpless, you're not able to work, you don't have a lot of options, there's just incredible shame because everybody would see your anemic, undeveloped legs and you wouldn't be able to clean yourself or feed yourself. And you hear about Jesus healing people. And apparently you have a baller group of friends that get you on this, this little cot and take you, take you to Jesus, get you before Jesus. And Jesus looks at you. You have the, the God of the universe in the flesh looking at you, seeing your, your, your tiny undeveloped legs and your, your unshaven face. And he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you see the tenderness of our king there? This, this desperate, broken person comes to him and he calls him son. He tells him to, to, to face his fears, take courage because your sins are forgiven. The first reason Jesus gives us for, for tharseoing or taking courage for looking at the danger of being exposed in our shame and continuing to act is that, that our sins have been forgiven. When we come to Jesus desperate, looking for him to make us whole, the Bible says that uh, we are healed, that our sins are forgiven. The story shows us how aggressive Jesus' grace is, how tender and, and, and just for us it is, because this we don't have this man saying anything. He's just there. He's just there in his paralysis, helpless. He's not asking for healing, not asking for forgiveness, but Jesus sees him, his desperation, his faith, his willingness to expose him, uh, expose himself to public shame for healing. And he says, your sins are forgiven. So we can take courage uh, to face the fear uh, of shame and guilt because our sins have been forgiven. There's no shame or guilt for any of us who have come, come to Jesus, period. I wonder how much of our lives are shaped by the, the, the fear of people finding us out, like of finding that thing that we're ashamed of or being, a, being afraid of, of feeling guilty. You're just like, I don't want to try because I know that I'll be walking around with the guilt of that attempt for weeks on end. But in the gospel and, and with Jesus, we can, face the we can face the danger of our guilt and our shame why? Because the king of the universe already knows them. Like, Jesus knows more about your sin than you do. And he's forgiven them with his own blood. 1 John 4 says that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So the perfect love of Jesus that pays the penalty for our sins and wipes away our sin and our, our guilt and our shame removes the, the fear of it. 
because there's no more punishment. There's, we can go for it and not feel any shame if we fail because, oh, Jesus died for that as well. When we stay stuck because we feel guilty or we're afraid of feeling guilty in the future or we're afraid of people finding us out, it's, it's a question worth, worth asking, sitting with, with some quiet. To what degree does your shame and guilt keep you from, from acting, from taking courage in life, in, in your relationships? There's just no way to not, you know, fall on your face as a human. Like, we're, that's just going to happen. We're going to look dumb. We're going to make mistakes. Reaching out to our neighbors might result in awkward moments or we'll say dumb, offensive things. But our sins are forgiven. It's no longer about our performance. It's about what Jesus has done. So now we are free to face the danger of exposure. We can show up to circumstances and relationships that are scary because... Uh, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that's not to say you won't feel guilt or shame when you go for it and you try something and fall on your face. But what I am saying is that we can take courage to face that uh, because that comes with an invitation from the God of the universe to, to take our eyes off of our performance and onto Jesus. Every time that we feel those waves of guilt or shame or the fear of that being exposed, it's 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 God in his tender little bit bittersweet mercy saying like hey it's not about you it's not about your performance it's about jesus and i think about i think about johnny um climbing he's super into climbing now uh but he just has like no uh you know like descent plan when he goes for it he just like climbs something and then he's just excited to get up there and then just so often he'll get like on some precarious perch and just be like ah 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 he just has like no shame for like going for it and getting stuck, and he just like shamelessly looks to whatever adults around to come and get him out of a pickle. There's that kind of childlike faith of just going for it, and you might end up on a precarious perch and looking kind of silly, but that's what's available to us. To then, then we get to receive the embrace of God comforting us. Look at the next story, verse twenty, chapter nine, verse twenty. Just then, the woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak she said to herself if i only touch his cloak i will be healed jesus turned to her and saw her take heart daughter he said your faith has healed you and the woman was healed from that moment on now again let's put ourselves in this woman's shoes she's been bleeding for a very long time this would and this would have made meant a couple things first it, it probably would have meant that she was broke we know in mark's account of this story that it said she'd spent all she had uh, on this disease and, and it said suffered greatly at the hands of doctors. It's kind of a, a super sad uh, sentence. And we can also probably guess that she's never able to get married or have kids uh, with this health, health issue, which would have made her very much an outcast, uh, kind of second, second class citizen in this culture. And then, and then spiritually, in the religious customs of this day, blood uh, made people unclean. And so she would have been uh, spiritually cut off from the, the gathering of God's people because, she, uh, because of uh, her bleeding. She wouldn't have been able to worship in the temple. If anybody had touched her, they would be then defiled because she probably hadn't been touched or hugged or cared for a lot. But she presses through a crowd and touches the fringe of Jesus' cloak. And look how he responds. He, he turns and he sees her and he says, Tharseo, take courage. And he gives us the second reason to take courage. Because your faith has healed you. 
This woman took an incredible risk in pressing through the crowd to touch Jesus. It was audacious, very much like a childlike, like I, I'm desperate, I want this, I'm going for it. She knew the rules about touch, especially if you're bleeding, especially if you're a woman and you're trying to touch a man, especially if you're unclean. But she had faith and she ris risked it. And the risk exposed her in an embarrassing way. We know from the other accounts of the story that Jesus was in a big crowd and he's going to, to save a girl's life. And he, he stops in the middle of this crowd and turns and sees her. He, he, this woman in her shame, of her, her uncleanness is like right in the middle of the attention of this crowd. Again, do you see Jesus' tender heart towards the desperate? Jesus never turns away anybody who comes to him desperate, needing him, tenderhearted. Whenever Jesus is scary, it's normally because he's talking to, <coughs> excuse me, he, he's talking to proud people who are arguing with him or trying to do his stuff on their own terms. But Jesus is always tender towards the tenderhearted, excuse me. I want us to see him wanting to talk to her because Jesus, he could have just let her be healed and like slip back out of the crowd and have no conversation. He could have just not healed her. Like she could have just tried and it not worked. She didn't have anything else to lose. But in the middle of this life and death situation, he stops and looks at her. And the reason to take heart here is that Jesus rewards faith. Jesus rewards faith. Faith in Jesus is never a bad choice. He wants us to come to him in faith, audaciously, like a child, like little kids. Now, there's a quote I heard recently that says, faith is really just a four-letter word spelled R-I-S-K, risk. If you want to think practically about faith, think risk. The best picture of this is Indiana Jones uh, in The Last Crusade. We just watched this movie. It's on Netflix. They just don't make movies like that anymore. It's just a uh, golden era or whatever, good old days. But his dad's been shot. He's got to get to the, the chalice to save his dad's life. And he's standing on the edge of a bottomless abyss. And he knows, he knows the promise or the lore that there's an invisible bridge there uh, that requires a, a leap of faith. And so he's standing there. It's either his dad dies and he goes back or he, he steps out in faith, either falling to his death or getting the chalice and saving his dad. So the point is, Faith without risk is actually not faith. It's mental agreement. It's this kind of new modern uh, invention that we came up with that you can say you have faith or believe something, but just like not actually live like it's, like it's true, that it's just in your head. Because if you have faith in that compound interest is real and that retirement and saving for retirement is good, but you don't actually like go and like buy some index funds, like it just, that's not faith. It doesn't actually help you out when you get to the point where you can't work anymore. Because faith in Jesus is how we are saved. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's what makes us Christians. But if we do not actually experiencing risk in following Jesus, it's, it's a tough case to make. It's a difficult thing to say that we actually have faith. James says faith without works, without action, is dead. And following Jesus is a huge risk. Just don't let anybody say it's easy or it's just like a simple like app you can download to get that's there on your phone when you need it or something following jesus is a huge risk that takes up our whole life like he calls us to take up our cross like to die to ourselves that requires us to do things that just make no sense to to the world but we can take heart here we can be courageous in the face of those fears because we see that jesus loves to respond with tenderness 
when we act in faith, faith when we take risks. So I'm curious, we've been reading the gospel some as a church, like what, what commands of Jesus are the most risky to you, sound the most terrifying to you? Is it spending time with people? Is it spending time not with people, <laughs> like alone, you know? Uh, is it striking up a conversation with someone you don't know or opening your home to the least of these, pursuing people that don't pursue you back? But it's through risk, through faith that we are healed. It's through risk, just like Johnny on the edge of the chair, for him going for it, that we are healed of our mistrust because we see Jesus coming through for us. When we act like he really is king of everything, uh, that's how we begin to be healed of our anxiety, of the fear that just kind of seeps life out of us year after year. The next story is in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him, and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch <clears throat> of the night, Jesus went out to take went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So again, let's put ourselves in the boat with the disciples. The winds are raging. You've done ministry all day, and you're trying to get to a place to rest away from the crowds, and just huge waves, huge waves are crashing against you, filling the boat. You're, it's too far to turn around and go back. Uh, we're, we're in the boat. We're rowing against it, not really getting anywhere, feeling helpless and stuck asking questions like what are we going to do like are we going to make it i didn't even want to get into this stupid boat in the first place why did jesus make us get in this boat and then after hours of fear of wondering if we'll survive in the wee hours of the morning we see someone walking on the water like what is happening and it turns out to be jesus and he says take courage it is i the third reason we have for taking courage is that jesus is with us that jesus is is literally present with us that he is the lord <clears throat> excuse me he is the lord of the the winds and the waves literally in this case but also like figure, figuratively in our life i would say like one of the best times to experience jesus saying hey take heart it is i is in like the storms of life is in when, when it feels like Life is just buffeting us with wave after wave after wave of just, are you kidding me? Is the whole world against me? And maybe it's parenthood. Maybe it's a lack of parenthood. Maybe it's jobs or a lack of jobs. Maybe it's our retirement or our health. Jesus himself is the reason we take courage because he's with us. Matthew 28, he said he'll be with us to the end of the age. And I just love that he made them get into the boat. I just love that he, he, he made the disciples go away in the boat so he could go get some, some Jesus time. Uh, and that as the disciples did what Jesus told them to do, they got caught in the storm. But we can rest assured that Jesus will be with us. It's Jesus himself who calms our fears. It's not ideas. It's not <clears throat> just mental agreement about, excuse me, sorry.
It's the actual person of Jesus. And what it's one of the mysteries of Christianity is that by the Holy Spirit, we can actually have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Like it's not like a prayer you pray or like a fact you believe, but it's like a person that we experience life with intimately. Experiencing the presence of Jesus, loving him, uh, entering into scriptures that talk about him, imagining him with us, what he said and did, and, and most practically spending time with his body, the church, is kind of the point. And if you'll indulge another dad's story, this I think of Johnny whenever I get the leaf blower out. It's like the weirdest thing because he's terrified of it. And if I use it, he will cry, but he'll also run towards me. <laughs> and w- But if I use it while I'm holding him, he'll just kind of like look at it. It's like Jesus doesn't make all the leaf blowers in our life go away, but he holds us. He's with us. He will not leave us high and dry or low and wet in the case of a sinking boat. Lastly, flip over to John 16. While you're turning there, uh, John chapters 13 uh, through 16 are some of my favorite in all of scripture. It's Jesus's farewell discourse. Jesus here is with his disciples right before he's about to die for them. And here in chapter 16, we get the very last thing that he teaches them, that he says to them before he prays for them in chapter 17 and then goes on to die for them. Look at verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. This is the the last reason to take heart. That's our seo. Jesus has overcome the world. And you see this perfect, uh, how perfectly this verse captures courage. Like there's just no spoilers here. You will have trouble. You will have tribulations. I've said this so you have peace. You're going to have tribulations. But have courage in the face of them. There's just no space in the teachings of Jesus to think that life will be easy and comfortable. He says plainly, you will not be safe. You will have trouble. But in, the, <clears throat> but in the face of that danger, we can take courage because why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. What conviction, what belief beyond ourselves can empower us to face these tr- troubles or tribulations? It's Jesus overcoming the world, but how did he do it? What happens right after he says, take heart? Does he call everybody to pull out their sword and get on horses and ride out in victory? No. He gets betrayed, falsely accused, flogged, beaten, mocked, and nailed to the cross. Listen, we can, we can take courage because Jesus himself took courage for us. He faced the ultimate danger, the ultimate fear of taking on all of our sin and being separated by God forever. He dies for everyone who ever opposed him, for you and me. We can take courage because Jesus took courage for us. He took courage better than we could ever, ever tharseo. When we repent, turn from our old ways of living, from opposing Jesus as the one true king, we can have this peace in him. And we know that he, o- he overcame the world because he, he didn't stay dead, because he lives. He can face tomorrow. We see this in Jesus' disciples. It's just 
been so fun to read Acts with you all this month because we've been reading the Gospels and the disciples are just such goofs, you know? So glad I'm smarter and have more faith in the disciples. Uh, but then we get to Acts and it's just like they're surfing this incredible wave of power and doing all kinds of incredible things. And uh, pretty much all of them, uh, well, yeah, all of them experience incredible persecution. Most of them died. So these scared, clueless guys that are just terrified throughout all the Gospels then go get enough courage to where they're like staring death in the face and, and eventually accepting death, following after Jesus' footsteps. Can you just imagine that kind of courage, like a sense of faith that even in the, the midst of seeing people coming to kill you, you, you stand firm, you risk it because you know that Jesus rose from the dead and overcame it. Death couldn't keep him down. And when we join him, and his death, it can't keep us down either. I know that's extreme, <clears throat> but we can see how when we truly believe something, truly have faith in something, we can have the encourage, we can have the courage to face incredible dangers. And so here we are as a church in 2019. We're in a season of revitalization. Money is tight. People are few. A lot of our lives feel overwhelming and super full, and energy feels low. So what does it look like for us to take courage and follow Jesus together? There was probably a lot of ways that we could try to land the plane uh, and courage. But if you'll, uh, if you'll indulge me, I think for, I would invite you to join me in praying about taking courage, our set owing, uh, in, in relationships, in both community and mission. I think the biggest invitation to courage for us as a church family is showing up uh, with honesty, but clearly in, with, in, rela- in relationships with each other and the, the lost people that are, are in our lives, that not yet Jesus followers in our lives. And I, and I, and I say that knowing that that sounds terrifying, knowing that that seems scary, both to be known, like, what do I say? How do I know what to say? It's risky. We'll, we'll probably look dumb. But it's intimacy with Jesus, the peace that surpasses understanding. It, it, can't, harp, it can't happen apart from, from a community of his people because he said that's where my body is. It's the church. It's the community, the relationships we have with each other as a church where we experience the presence of Christ. And you see this all over Acts. Like just how the church grows is that they're just like being the church together. They're just loving each other. They're generous with each other. They're devoted to God and the, the gathering of the saints. And it says people were added to their number daily, those who were being saved. <coughs> So I just want to uh, put before you th- this call to courage and relationships. One, because we look to people who don't know Jesus, and that can be kind of scary. We desire them to know Jesus. Uh, but it says they'll, they'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll, they'll know you're my disciples, Jesus said, by how you love one another. And so by all means, we want to make, dis- make relationships, make disciples, connect with people that don't know Jesus. Uh, but there's the question of, like, then what community would we be inviting them into? Like, we're, are we inviting them into a community where they can be loved and known and cared for? And so it really goes to hand in hand. And they're, they're really not separate at all. Like, if it feels daunting to do it alone, uh, to be on mission alone, you don't have to do it alone. Because we can be on mission together. Right? You, you can invite people to hang out with your not-yet-follower friends uh, with you. Uh, and so I just encourage you as you look at the summer, summer's a time for hanging out. Uh, to prioritize hanging out with people, um, your church family and the people in your life uh, who, who don't yet know Jesus. And uh, when it feels scary, when you feel like, I am for sure going to bomb this, know that that probably means you're doing it right. Know that probably means that you're, you're in a moment where you're taking courage and you're saying, like, Jesus, you better be real about everything that you're saying. 
uh, because I'm going for it. I'm risking it. And here's one question that could kind of maybe give give some practical uh, practical help to you. What this look like might look like for you. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do in relationships if you weren't afraid? Use your imagination and think of possibilities, not worst case scenarios. What would you do if you weren't afraid? And then fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and go do it in spite of your fear. Coming, to, coming home to the fact that we're afraid, imagining what it'd be like to not be afraid, and then seeing Jesus cure your anxiety, heal your anxiety as you fix your eyes on him and act. Take courage, church. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who comes to us in our fear and our anxiety, comes to us in our, our insecurities and just the uh, overwhelming uh, realities of, uh, of life. And you come to us in tenderness and you call us to, to follow Jesus and to, and to take courage. Father, would you, in your mercy, uh, be near to us as a church in this season that we're in? Uh, would you uh, give us honesty to acknowledge where and when uh, we are afraid? Would you uh, give us the grace to bring those things to you, uh, to know that it's not uh, something to be ashamed of, but when we expose our fear honestly and submit it to the gospel, we can, we can be healed? Father, I pray that um, the courage of Jesus facing the cross for our sake uh, would, would give us courage deep in our souls, that we would identify with him in his death, that we might join with him in his resurrection. In his name, amen.